Hello and welcome to the MacFab Engineering Podcast. We're your hosts, Parker Doman and Stephen Craig. This is episode 291. So before we jump into everything, just before the podcast, uh, I don't remember how we got on the subject, but um, I, I've looked up free PCB, which is the PCB software design EDA tool that I use starting out um, like what, 14 years ago or something like that at this point. And lo and behold, freepcb.com is now a host gator parking website for the domain. So I was like, oh man, it's gone. Well, if you looked up freepcb in Google, there's a link to freepcb.dev, which looks to be a fork of that project. And I'm like, oh, cool. Someone's actually working on it. And then I went to the GitHub and it was updated four hours ago. So it's an active, someone is actively working on free PCB. I don't know, it just makes me all warm and fuzzy inside. The, the good old days. Yeah. So I'm going to have to try out free PCB. Parker was super excited because they now have a schematic editor. Yeah, it has a schematic editor, so you don't have to build Netlist by hand anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I've got a little bit of an update on the bias test system that I've been developing. Uh, it took a little bit of uh, a few weeks to work on it a little bit more. But, uh, well, first of all, I made a little uh, daughter board so I can access all the pins now. But the, uh, the the goal of this board was also to test IDC cables, ribbon cables, to see how much voltage I can put on them before bad things happen. And uh, so I've got a 16-pin uh, extension cable that goes off to my little daughter board with uh, just a whole bunch of um, uh, screw terminals. Well, wasn't the idea that you could that your amp or your device you're testing has that connector on it already, so you don't need the breakout board? That's right. Yeah. So yeah. just for development, I'm going. I, I have it such that I can basically wire this, hardwire this directly into one of my amps. But eventually, the the goal is to have a test connector on the amps. So I just plug my bias test system with an IDC cable into the amp, and then I have access to all the signals that I need. Um, and and actually, I want to talk a little bit about that. Well, let's just do it right now. So, the, uh, the 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 original goal was to make my own kind of connector for it, something a little bit unique. And then I was like, you know what? It's probably easier to do just a uh, a header, pin header. I I didn't want to originally do that because I'd have to populate a header on every amp, and that header would be used you know, once ideally. And so like, if I didn't have to pay for that, I didn't have to spend time soldering it. That would make sense. Right. But, uh, so, uh, I was like, okay, cool. I'll just go back and solder a header in place. And then I realized I have potentially up to a few hundred volts on a 0.1 pitch header. So I started looking at clearances between pins and how could I design one that would work out well? Well, it just doesn't really work out well given for for almost all my signals a, a 0.1 pitch header would work fine but um there's there's a few signals that can get up to like 700 800 volts and uh i just the, the the clearances i would hate for one of my amps to fail for a connector that i put on there that i would use one time for production it just doesn't make any sense to do it that way so i i i'm gonna have to go back and des develop my own uh connector for this uh get get a little fancy with it so i that's sort of a hurdle that's a little bit down the road because th there's nothing really pressing on this it's more like for fun in the future i don't have i don't need this right now because everything that this bias test system can do i can do by hand 
Uh, I just really want this to be computerized as such that I can have a database of everything. And if I ever train somebody to do it, I don't have to have them calculate power ratings of parts or anything like that. They just go on the system and it says, turn this knob until everything is green on the screen. You know, that mm -hmm. kind of thing. On, on making your own connector, how are you going to do that? Like, what, do you have an idea of how you want to do that yet? So I, 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 I've already developed something that worked in the past for this, uh, but I'm just going to make it a little bit better. So um, basically I'm making a, a homemade version of a tag connect uh, cable. So pogo pins that access exposed pads on my main PCB. So the, the goal was the, on the main PCB that this connects to, if I just have exposed pads, I effectively don't pay for a connector on that. Um, but the biggest thing is is just making a connector that clips into the board and hangs onto the board and doesn't lose connection and doesn't slip or anything because there's many hundreds of volts. I don't want anything to short out. I, w I would hate to have to replace a bunch of parts plus my little test system here because the connector slipped and shorted you know 500 to ground or something like that uh so what i'm working on right now is a a small board that has a handful of pogo connectors on it that will somehow mount inside of a 3d printed um like finger gripping system very similar to a um, a tag connect cable so i can just put pads on my boards and then some holes on the board and it kind of grips into the holes and holds the connector in place that's sort of the goal but i'm i'm working on the hardware before i nail all that um because right now i can do all this uh just by wiring things in place and that's honestly this, this working on the hardware is a lot more fun than developing a connector uh so developing connector sounds kind of fun it's i'm enjoying this right now <laughs> so uh, the cool thing is, so far I've tested high voltage on an IDC cable, and I haven't had any problems. These things are typically rated to about 300 volts, but I've put 450 on it, and I haven't seen any issues yet. It's that 2x safety factor working in your favor. Well, let's hope it's actually 2x. <laughs> but uh, I, I haven't tested an IDC cable filled with high voltage lines. I've tested like one or two kind of thing. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So that's that's the next step. It, it passed first muster, which is just, can I put 450 volts on any of the lines? And I've done multiple and it's, it seems to be fine. So, uh, yeah. So the, um, been working on getting the code up to, up to snuff on the, on the board here. So the, I actually have a, a question for you on this because I'm curious about how you do it. I, I, you know, I write firmware not very regularly. So whenever I approach things, uh, I usually have to kind of reinvent the way I do it. But uh, so I got some Arduino libraries for the ADCs that I'm using on this board and they work fantastic, but they were written to communicate with one chip. I have two, so I have to add chip select to be able to select for which one I'm, I'm working with. And so the way I accomplish that is basically on all of my functions, I just added an extra argument in there so I can select which chip uh, it talks to. I'm, I'm curious about the way that you approach that, uh, if you have multiple chips that use the same function. Um, yeah, usually it would be, I have a, a, a identifier of some, port, of some kind that you would pass. Yeah, um, okay. Yeah, you could do it. Um, in your case, I guess you're just passing a zero of one. Yeah. Uh huh. And then in that function, it sets that. It just re it just takes that and shoves it onto your chip select line. 
Well, you know, here's here's what's really annoying is whoever wrote this library, like they did a great job, but they they went overboard where it, it it's hierarchical, it has many layers and things like that. So there's nested functions and things, even down to like chip select itself is a function. Uh and they, they built it. I think they built it with the intent that somebody might do exactly what I'm doing. Uh, because, like, chip select on is a function and chip select off is a function. But if you go into their functions, it just toggles one pin. So I think they built it such that it could inherit something. Like, I, I basically, basically, I have a, my top level functions and my last argument in there is just throw a zero or one effectively for which chip I want. And then it ha I had to boil it down through all of their functions all the way down to which chips like that goes to. Now, you, um, you might, depending on how that library is made, you might be able to make it like both of those chips are different objects in the Arduino code. Mm -hmm. And then that might solve your problem instead of having to do it that way. I, I don't know how, the, how that library is constructed, but that might be the way to go. Because then you wouldn't have to yeah. modify and add in a chip select top level to pass in. Well, I've actually, <laughs> I've already completed it. Oh, okay. Uh, it's, it's, I, I, Never I, mind. I drilled it all the way down, but the, but the, but while I was working, I was like, there's got to be a better way of doing this. And and it's a class. I could have I could have had a separate item on it, but I still would have had to have passed it an argument that was which chip it was and and that would require heavily modifying the library anyway hmm. it just um as i was going through it it seemed like it was like 50 percent built for this intent but it's like man why didn't you go all the way through so i don't have to go and like tear apart your so library. i don't have to do any work <laughs> well i mean like i don't know yeah i guess the thing is about it is like this this you know it's a 24-bit a to d with eight channels how many people with an arduino are going to need more than those eight channels i understand yeah, who's going to have two of these chips right right it doesn't yeah so and and if, if you do need more than two you'll go in and modify the library like i did so yeah. it's just it, somehow it feels like what i was doing was not right but it functions and there's no problem with it so it's like okay well fine whatever yeah your only problem is if you ever have to update that library if i ever have to update that library and there's and i have like if statements that I feel unnecessary now because it has to say like oh if it's this chip do this with this you know that kind of thing mm -hmm. and that just seems like uh inefficient and slow so i don't know how that library is set up but if i was designing from scratch i would have a top level like chip A, chip B, chip C, and then you would define those as like a, as a, what the I, what the, what the pin is basically for the chip select. So mm. you're, you pass the chip select line for that chip in the top level function. So if you go yeah. read channel eight, right? Uh, and then you pass the chip select line 13 and that's the one it uses. Yeah. Yeah. That's how I would do it. Yeah, if I if I, I I could probably redo the library to be a little bit cleaner, but since it's functioning now, I'm just gonna leave it as is because I don't actually need to read like unbelievably fast. Yeah. Um, so and no one else is gonna look at this code other than me. <laughs> <laughs> so I I checked this board against four different multimeters, and I'm getting values that are in range with all the other multimeters. So I'm happy with my measurements now. Like, I think I can trust this well enough to actually like do something that could be damaging if, uh, if uh, yeah. I said it wrong. It's calibrated to your NIST 
I'm doing air quotes, NIST calibrated fluke. Well, you know, I brought that, that NIST calibrated fluke home and I tested that against uh, two other meters that I have here at home mm-hmm. and they were all reading basically the same thing. So, yeah. And then your other three meters you're checking are the free Harbor Freight ones. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually looking at getting a new meter. Oh. Just to replace the one. Well, not really to replace it, but basically to, because right now I have, I basically only have two meters. I have my old one that I've, uh, I have like the Dillman family heirloom meter. It's that uh, Beckman industry meter. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the pride of the family. Yes. This is the family heirloom. And then I have my like ten dollar Radio Shack one I bought a long time ago. Like it's like Velman or something like that brand, and you can get them for like twelve dollars still on Amazon. That meter has been to the beach, dropped in salt water, dragged out all over the driveway. It still works fine, but I'm thinking <laughs> about like actually retiring it to be just the garage, and actually get a nicer meter for like in the, the electronic shop. Yeah. What do you what are you thinking of getting? You gonna go with the, the good old yellow guys? I think I'm gonna get a um a five digit siglent oh, desktop okay. model. Cool. Um Oh a desktop. Yeah, those are nice. Yeah. And then I want a portable act- an actual portable meter that um that can fit in your like in your pocket easily for like DEF CON and stuff like that. And conferences. Because those are finally starting to kick back up. Mm-hmm. Um, that that sounds like Harbor Freight. Yeah. Because you can get like a TS-100 soldering iron, a portable soldering iron. But I'd like to have a portable meter as well. I did find some meters on Amazon. Haven't purchased any yet or really done any in-depth review or looking at them. But they're like the form factor of your phone. And mm-hmm. they got like a plug in the bottom that you plug the leads into. So you can't do high voltage or whatever. But... I mean, if it's no bigger than your phone, it's not a pain in the butt to carry around. But the big thing I'm I'm, I'm struggling with is the problem with having a, a meter like that is, like, the leads are now, like, the bulky part. You know? Like, what do you do with, like... Because, you know, your multimeter leads, like, always get twisted up and stuff. Mm. And it's just so awkward to kind of, like, untangle that. Mm. It needs, like, a retractable... <laughs> like leads because you're not passing a lot of high current or whatever and yeah 90 of the time you're gonna be just beep testing stuff like those like those <laughs> lanyards that that extend. yes yeah we need test leads that are lanyards <laughs> well not like lanyards um what are they? well like, like the flat cable stuff like if you're doing really simple stuff you could totally get away with that yeah they just don't make anything that's purposely built like that i guess you could take a because they make those usb cables that have the retractable centers those have four wires in them. Cut, cut them. Solder all four wires on them. And there you go. Yeah, you can you can solder two of them together, and so you have you have two a, a pair now, basically. Yeah. And then put some leads on them. And oh, I was I was saying have two extendable. Uh, oh. What? Yeah, one for red. And, and oh, and black. then solder everything inside together. Yeah. Ah. Yeah. Yeah, that might work. Yeah, you'd be I'd king of the nerds that. if you had that. Yeah. King of the nerds. <laughs> it would be even better too if you can make it so that one end plugs in with the like the USB instead of like a banana jack. Someone make that happen. That sounds like a really Ed awesome will idea. Buy one. <laughs> yeah, I will. I would buy one immediately. But um, yeah. 
Wireless probes, man. <laughs> it's like that. Remember the wireless ESD strap? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and actually, the best thing about that is it had a one. It still had a one mega ohm resistor in it. It just oh, yeah. the mega ohm resistor was just in the air. <laughs> it just dissipated into the, the ether. Into the ether. <laughs> I did do a thought experiment once of how could you pull that off? Oh, we we, we uh, oh we did a whole thing about that. Uh, I mean, not on the on the cast. I remember sitting in the in the lab talking about could you somehow charge charge something yeah. that you would later go and like connect it to something to to discharge it. Yeah, I think the what, the problem we ran into is the the whole thing is um, your body is the whole reason why like um, you have a ground strap is so that you're you're referenced to the bench, right? Whatever mm-hmm. you're plugged into for your ESD strap, your reference to that. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas if you had a wireless strap, you're not referenced to it, so you can still build up. Like, if you try, you, could, you can't charge anything up and store it later, basically what happens. Um, you just get evenly distributed all over. That charge gets static, builds up. I mean... Just polarize, like the ceiling with a few million volts, and have it just like pull through the air. Right? Yeah, no, no, that's actually the one way <laughs> we 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 actually found out about um, ESD ionizers. Yeah, that's how those work. Is so yeah. there's there's fans basically out there that discharge things by di is a di I think deionizing the air, and so the ions get stripped off of your body. Um, and so you don't build up static. I actually use one of those at work uh, in my office just as a fan. <laughs> like just as a fan. <laughs> yeah. Well, it gets it's uh, in the winter. It gets really dry up there. Yeah. Um. So I I would see, say that uh those are probably really good for your your manufacturing process. Yeah. You know, su- surprisingly, with how dry it gets up here, um, we have not run into ESD problems. Uh. We don't we don't have any failures attributed to that. Let's just put it that way. We may have, but uh, in terms of like, we don't see that happen often. And I mean, there's been times when it's like twelve percent humidity here. Yeah, yeah. Like when you get down that low, things are uncomfortable. <laughs> it's like your skin is starting to shrink. Oh yeah, like everywhere you go, you're slapping door handles and things like that. I cannot. I have to get like a towel to, if I go like pick up my Nintendo because it will blast me. Uh, it's yeah, it's actually it's not fun. You get you get shocked by everything. I I wonder if there's a market out there because all you would have to do because you have carpet, and that's the yeah. problem. Um, and actually, I, what I found is most people up there have carpet. I guess because it's warmer. To walk on then like because everyone well not everyone but most people down in houston and hotter climates have hardwood floors mm-hmm. i think says hardwood floor or or tile or concrete or whatever because it's cooler um and so you don't get a lot of static buildup regardless even though you got like 80 percent humidity as well but if you had carpet and you carbon you built you put carbon in the fibers and then you could ground your carpet <laughs> to just dissipate the. And carpet. so you'd be walking on an ESD mat the entire time, and so you would never build up static charge. 
You know, you know, there's there's a there's a simpler solution that people do. They buy whole home humidifiers and just put that in your ducts and then humidify. Yeah, but you got to like, oh, I guess if it's in your ducts and you would never have to fill it up. Yeah, right. You you yeah. It's just part of the system. Hmm. Such that your heater doesn't dry your house even more. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. But I like your idea. Yeah, ca- carbonized carpet. Carbonized carpet. It's car- called ca- oh, such carpet. a good name too. <laughs> <laughs> I actually like that idea a lot. Uh, I would totally if I had one to make it. Yeah, that sounds actually really good. Because the, the problem with like a humidifier is, I don't know. I've been in a couple of places with a humidifier, and they just don't seem to work that well. Like they don't they don't get the humidity up enough, in my opinion, to actually counteract static. So. Well, I, I actually have a humidifier that's uh, just above my couch. I just leave it on a shelf there. Um, so when I'm sitting there watching TV, like it just makes a little blanket of of moisture around me, just over your head. <laughs> yeah, just uh, yeah, just there, and it it works in the winter. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so yeah, back to the bias test system real quick. Um, got some just few things on the next steps. Um, I'm gonna finish my Arduino code on this, which basically that involves making sure that I'm reading everything the way I want to, but also merging in the Skippy code that that um, we have um, so that this thing can actually talk to the computer. Uh, and then um, I'm going to actually solder into one of my amps over here that's a known working amp uh, so I can get real-world data, and then we'll schedule the next Python event uh, where we can merge the two together and start building a um a gooey a gooey for it and apologize to everyone we it's been brought to our attention that the original python chat we had got deleted unfortunately the video for that so we didn't delete it amazon deleted it right so hate them it's not our fault uh but we do do have the code available i thought i think we made that available somewhere Um, uh it's available in the slack which could also be deleted as well well, I, I, I have the code, so... Okay, you have the code. Because, so, it, yeah. what happened is Twitch will only keep a, a, a VOD, it's called a VOD, video on demand, I guess, um, for two weeks. And that happened, like, four weeks ago. So, it's unfortunately gone. So, it is my fault. I didn't download it. Um, no worries. Um, so. we'll, we'll make the... Before the next Python thing, we'll make the code... Um, available at what it what it boils down to is this code works you we can give it to you it's pretty easy to read so you don't need to watch us ramble for an hour as we write code over the internet you could probably just read through this and catch up in 10 minutes or yeah however long cool so today in the slack channel someone posted i I say someone let's see who it was i think that was bumbled monk yeah bumbled monk um Brought to our attention a company called Jiva, 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 Jiva Materials. So, anyways, it's the self-proclaimed the world's first fully recyclable PCB substrate. Um, so it is a, it looks like uh, stained bamboo PCBs. <laughs> yeah, it looks like wood. <laughs> um, and so the whole idea is when you soak the PCB in hot water. They don't say how hot, just It'll says hot water in the video. It's it starts to delaminate, and then you can process it, um, um, 
by burning it or or composting it or variety variety of methods to get rid of it right it's it's um, it's a little bit more eco-friendly than epoxy and fiberglass <laughs> yes the, so the whole idea is on one part is it's it's easier to recycle but the other thing is its materials are more eco-friendly from the get-go than yep epoxy and fiberglass so like i think it was like the stat they're using I haven't read the there's like they have a source I haven't read the source yet but they're saying like basically the carbon footprint of just the materials is 60% less so just the materials so that doesn't include like recycling it later right um, or so that's kind of cool. manufacturing with it yes yeah so it's called soluboard and so I just went through there's not a lot of data about this yet because they don't have any technical specifications it says email us for if you want to work with us. So I actually was thinking about emailing just to see, hey, let's build some boards out of this stuff. Kind of looks weird. Um, they do have, like, their example board that they showed in their video is basically an Arduino version. Mm -hmm. All through whole version. Um, but it doesn't have any traces on it on that, on that that in that video. So if you go into that video and see the board, there's no traces on that board, which I thought was weird. Um, but then they show a... A video of a board working with like with like uh, those WS twenty eight twelve LEDs, smart LEDs on it. Yeah. Um. But what I can't find about this stuff is, um. Traces go on it like the traditional manner, so like plating and etching, copper and like you know you have to bond the copper first to the board. That's all done the traditional PCB way. So it's just they are just changing the substrate. Um, so my question is, how does the soaking of in the hot water when it delaminates the substrate? How does that? How do you do the other stuff like the silk screen and solder mask and the copper? How does how do you post process that off? Yeah, and like plating internal vias and things like that. Yeah. Uh, a lot of times those are baths of things. Yeah. Um, and they do say that it does work with... It's compatible with aqueous PCB fabrication processes. I would suspect that you can't do water wash. Because water wash... Water wash... Would uh, it. Water wash... Um, uh, flux. Um, you probably can't do that because you have to wash that with hot water. <laughs> yeah. But I'm gonna bet you most aqueous PCB fabrication processes they're talking about is like just like rinsing or something like that with cold water. Um, so you probably have to use no clean only or rosin. Um, rosin actually is a very would be very interesting because it comes rosin comes from trees and this is a tree. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Okay. So one thing I'm I'm curious about it, it's 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 really cool uh, in terms of like. Uh, the aesthetic it it looks it does uh, look cool it looks like <clears throat> excuse me farmhouse pcbs in a way uh but but one thing about fr4 that's that's a bit nice is um the surface roughness is it's not particularly rough and it's not necessarily fibrous either whereas if you look at, at some of the uh, pictures of this uh solute board it it really does just look like wood uh, it does and so the the surface roughness does that have a huge impact on flatness of traces and flatness of parts and things? Yeah, like uh, we were talking about 
just last week uh, about BGAs. Mm-hmm. I want yeah, to see for, a BGA forget about it. <laughs> I, mean, I want to see a BGA on this board. Um, though, also, to be honest, though, if this solves a big problem, because that, that, the thing about FR four is it's you can't recycle it. I mean, once that epoxy's cured, it's it's that going to be that shape for all its life until you burn it. <laughs> Incineration. Um, so if they can get rid of part of the waste, that's that's a good thing. Um, and if you can get, and the thing is, it doesn't have to replace. I think what a lot of people think about because I saw some of the comments. I, I I started looking this up online, and a lot of people are are like, "Well, you can't like we just did there. You can't do a BGA because because it's, it's probably too rough or like certain like. Well, then you don't use this for BGAs. You can use this for your Arduinos." Right. You can right. use this for all, all the PCBs that are in your like household appliances that are all through hole a lot of times or are one sided boards. Like and especially since most of that stuff anyways is are throwaway products that you, you you buy them for two and a half, three years and it breaks and then you throw it away. Well, this is the solution because these boards probably don't last that's the thing about fiber uh, FR four. It's a forever material. <laughs> Oh, yeah, if you have these boards in Houston, they might last two or three summers. Maybe. Maybe. Well, it's, it does say it, it, it resists humidity, but, I mean, <laughs> where? Houston's beyond humidity. It's just hot water all the time. Swimming in the swamp. <laughs> you know, okay, so another thing is, they. Uh, the, it, lo- it almost looks like there's a veneer on the on That's the top That's what it looks like, yeah. It, well, it looks like a bunch of veneer. You know, I bet you what it is. It's... Okay, I hate because we're just plywood. We are just shooting from the hip now because we there's not a lot of information on this. Yeah, it does look like veneer with a polymer binder. Yeah, and all pressed together. Well, well, okay. So here's the thing: it very clearly has a grain direction going on. It's wood. It has it has a grain direction. I really hope that they like plywood alternate that direction because this thing would be very weak in one uh, in one stress mode, right? Mm Um, that's another thing about it. Like FR4, uh, it's pretty stiff. It's, it's, it's decent in that way. And it doesn't have a clear grain direction, which is nice. Um, hopefully this doesn't either. But then again, like you said, if it's Arduino, then it, it'll work for that, right? Yeah. So that, that, I want to see where, they, where this goes. Can it, can it take place of two layer boards for appliances and that kind of stuff? And, uh, High consumer grade items like printers and stuff like that. You know, okay, so so when it comes down to it, I think there's actually one major thing that I I question from seeing their their um, layouts or their their PCBs with this. Um, if they can have plated through holes, I think it could be successful. If it doesn't have plated through holes, I think that kind of shoots it right away and just makes it like a cool thought concept. Yeah. No, I agree. It has to be able to do played through holes. If it can, then yeah. You know, why not? Yeah, for sure. Saw you and, and 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 it may be a way uh you know, th- like if you got a hobbyist level thing that you're trying to get out and and sell some, that could be a marketing thing. We use mm-hmm. Saw you board uh, you know. Yep. When you're done with this, it you can recycle it. Yeah, I I just want to know how my biggest concern is all the examples. Oh, here's one with silkscreen on it. Okay. Um, is when they bond that copper to that 
FR4, it's pretty on there. Um, how are they handling recycling that part? That's that's or do they just not because do they just burn it? Which is fine. It just this would definitely burn a lot easier and a lot cleaner than FR4 does. And by the way, uh, most electronic recycling in quotes, they just straight up burn it. <laughs> Sorry, people out there. Yeah, it does look like they put on one of these a uh, bunch of yellow soak screen. Yeah. Now, a lot of their examples here I'm seeing are one layer. Uh, so it doesn't look like plated holes. But, you know, if they can do it, that would be awesome. Well, it's also, I bet you um, they don't have a huge PCB factory, right? It's probably it's probably being done in, in uh, someone's garage. Oh, probably, yeah. Well, this is all, yeah, let's keep an eye on it. This is a lot of proof of concept stuff. Yeah. And um, try not to shoot it in the foot. I'm, I'm, we're just trying to go off what we are reading on their website right now, and there's still just not a lot. I want to see a nice technical document, like, you know, actual environmental testing and that kind of stuff. Because it could be actually really great for IoT stuff, because most IoT stuff is only a couple years. Or phones. People only keep their phones for, you know, two, three years before they get a new one, or they break the screen. <laughs> and have to get a new one. Maybe we should reach out to them and, and see. Yeah, see if they want to come on. Yeah. That'd be fun. I, I think I'm going to reach out just to see if I can get boards made and like be like, hey, I'm willing to throw these into the reflow oven here. <laughs> cool. As long as it doesn't catch the reflow oven on fire. I don't know. It's one of those. It's, I think it's exciting because it's something that's actually different. Um in the PCB material space. Yeah, it's not like just a new way of making FR4. It's a completely separate material. Yeah, it's a completely separate material. So maybe... Oh, oh man. So, Steven, get this. You can make your, your amps and stuff out of this stuff, which will give it a warmer wooden tone. Oh, there you go. Now, I, how about this? Uh, some DEF CON badges that some of the secrets require you you put it in a bathtub and DLAM parts of it. <laughs> you have to peel it apart? Yeah. Like there's stuff inside. Great. You have to recycle your, your DEF CON badge. I actually like that idea a lot. <laughs> People would hate it. Yeah, I'm sure that would yeah. not be super fun. No, no. Well, because people like to like display their badges. Not so destroy them. The fact that you had to destroy, you had to recycle your badge at the end of the conference. Well, you, okay, you could have an FR four badge that is somehow bonded to one of these, and in order to access parts of the other badge, you would have to mm. delam this off of your FR four. No, no, I kind of like the idea of like you must return it to the earth. <laughs> it's not a really Defcon-y theme, but no, it's not. Defcon themes have been getting kind of, kind of hippie <laughs> recently. <laughs> Defcon's got a lot of like robots and things like that going on. Yeah. The next year is I mean, Defcon Thirty. It's gonna be bonkers. Yeah. Yeah. You should come out for Defcon Thirty. Well, we'll see what's up. Yeah. Okay. Um. Next subject. Uh. Oh. 
So I was working on a project at work. Um, lo and behold, another tester, uh, test fixture has been kind of been working on a lot at work. And I had a, I was doing some experimenting with high voltage and high currents with this tester. And I had it accidentally hooked up backwards. <laughs> and uh, basically I dumped like close to a kilowatt into a little relay little signal relay and it uh it stuck it got, it basically it, it it was testing fine and then that part that event happened um that relay's no longer right it that relay became no longer a relay it became a fuse <laughs> a well um, bead <laughs> yeah <laughs> a continue a continual um trace it became a trace and, and the thing is, though, it, I it hit the current limit of the power supply and safely failed, all that good stuff. And um, I was like, well, I and I kept testing it, like kept failing there. I'm like, OK, what's going on? So I beat tested the board and I'm like, OK, pulled the relay off. Um, unfortunately, basically, because when I beat tested the relay, it was continuous, even though with no power. So I'm like, OK, that's probably bad. So I replace it. So I replace it. Board was working fine after that. Unfortunately, through the process of thermal cycling the relay while I was while I was desoldering it, the uh, the stiction came loose. Oh, you 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 broke the weld bead. I, I broke the weld bead, but I did I did manage to take a picture of it. Um, so let me I'll show you all the picture. Ooh, it's show and tell today. Let's see if this will work. Oh, I can see it. Okay. So I'm gonna try to make it so the stream people can see it. You know, which and so well, Parker's saying that, by the way, we do stream these episodes every every week on Twitch. So if you want to watch us live and comment and uh, get on Twitch, get on Twitch um, so you can actually see the uh, the where where the little arc happened and welded those two pads together. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, how much uh, how much current was flowing through that? Um, you said a, ki a kilowatt worth of uh, energy. It was like six hundred volts. It's probably an amp and a half then. Okay. Well, that's interesting. and so thermal cycle cycling. It broke that weld. That's interesting. Yeah, it 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 was able to pop it. I actually tried to hit the relay too, to see if I can make it snap out. Um, but it 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 took all it was was thermal cycling. They finally broke it though. Hmm. And, but I was able to, I sliced it open with X-Acto blade to open up the enclosure. Have you, have you uh, tried using this relay again, actuating it? You should try nah. actuating and see if it's, if, if it recovered, let's put it that way. It would probably work. The problem is one, I removed the seal cause it's a sealed relay. Um, so now it's exposed, but, um, two, it would probably eventually arc again cause the coating is gone from that spot. Yeah. It probably would work fine for low voltage applications, but I would never trust it in a in a production tester. No, no, no. I'm just I'm just curious if anything else was damaged in the event. Oh, like the, um, I did power it up so the coil still works. Oh, and it has and the and the lease may continue, so it it functions fine. Got minus it. the arc weld. <laughs> <laughs> I'll post that picture up on on our podcast notes so everyone else can see them. Um, so one last topic for today, 
and this kind of man this is all everything's been kind of connected today it's been great um it's fixing circuit boards um and kind of like the method how you go about fixing them and this and what i mean by this is this is not like diagnosing like oh i have a board that's failed and why did it fail this is more like okay you blew something up and it vaporized something <laughs> how do you go about fixing that or like or acid damage from batteries stuff like that yeah yeah uh, or or uh i straight up cracked board yeah 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 i've certainly seen those before the, uh, this is based off of a um a reddit thread that uh, you saw right yeah there's, it was based off of Reddit thread I'll, I'll post a picture I'll post the link in the podcast notes, but here's the picture for the live uh, people in the live stream. So yeah, this picture, um, yeah, this board is roasted. <laughs> yeah, this is pretty rough. <laughs> <laughs> and and yeah, oh, and the quote, the caption for this image is possible to fix? <laughs> Question mark. Yeah. My favorite though is just looking at the like this was been on the beach somewhere. It's got sand and goo oh, all over yeah, it. It's got it, it's, it's grit. I bet you actually the inside of my multimeter looks like this. Probably. <laughs> so, okay, let's identify. Okay, it, it's obvious to see that something bad happened to this board, but let's identify all the things that look like they are bad with this board. So, obviously, there's multiple sections that are charred. Yeah. Uh, just So, that could be, oh, gosh, that could be a lot of things. Um, but I would I would suspect at first that's a component that actually burned on the board and not the board itself uh, yeah so that's probably on the surface which is nice it, it does look like the solder mask in some spots had vaporized and it's exposing because you can see co actual copper color mm -hmm. um so it got so hot where a component or it got so hot that the solder mask basically flaked off yeah but, yeah, but did see, not get hot enough that copper color underneath but did not get hot enough to delaminate the copper off the board. So it was in that sweet spot. <laughs> that magic zone. <laughs> magic zone. It also looks like, okay, so there's there's some spots that look like delam uh, where copper layer is is lifted. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's no bueno. Or bubbles, and, yeah. Yeah, and, and some through-hole part is just not in there anymore. <laughs> yeah, gone. not in there anymore. That's probably the part that went goodbye. Probably, yeah, because it looks like a whole bunch of high current traces that are feeding something, and it's around those areas. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and then um, I, I I think this it's looking like this board was conformally coated uh, somehow because it's oh, real glossy. And switch stuff, so... sw switch to the second picture. Oh uh, yeah 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 okay. <laughs> oh dear God. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> it's even worse. Yeah, this has like okay, oof. This is like everything. There's charring, there's solder mask missing. There's it almost looks like I think oh. that trace exploded. I think that's what happened. That's the yeah. original event yeah. was yeah. a trace got a trace exploded. <laughs> that's a lot more than a trace. That's a copper pour. That, yeah. that copper pour, <laughs> yeah, copper pour exploded. Yeah, um, taking out like all the capacitors and components near it. Yeah, it basically, it, it, it like vomited everywhere because uh, the board's covered in something. Uh, copper slag. Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Have okay. you ever noticed that? Is I've had a a resistor explode before, and it 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 
partially desoldered itself before it went. Mm. And so the liquid of solder had soldered, resoldered itself to like the enclosure before. Because <laughs> it, it looked like it looked like like solder. weld splatter, except yeah. that it was solder and it was actually stuck to it. So it wasn't like it just like I don't know. It kind of like soldered itself to the bo- uh, enclosure. It, it was impressive. Ooh, okay. Have you looked at the third image in this list yet? Uh, that to me looks like uh, electrolytic caps have uh, have given up the ghost. There's like uh, oh, yeah. part part of the wrap wrapping inside that has exploded. Also, there's a ton of rust all over this enclosure, which tells me that you know it was in not great shape before the event. Oh happened. yeah, look at that! It's all the capacitors are yeah they puked. unraveled. Yeah. Oh, so maybe it was capacitors failed, and then causing this is probably a power supply causing the um, rails to go out of whack mm. and which caused the traces to explode. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's certainly a cascade of, but it's definitely uh environmental problems first. Cause it's quite rusty inside there. Yeah. Like all the, so I don't know what this device is, but there's, there's a bunch of frames that uh, looks like power transistors are attached to. Um, yeah, look at the yeah. See, that's all the wrapping of the inside of electrodes. I think. Yeah, this thing is messed up. Impossible to fix. The answer is sure. Anything's possible to fix. Anything Would you possible. want to? <laughs> I like how the um, the first comment is that thing is fucked. <laughs> 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 I think I would look at that and probably try to find a replacement. I wouldn't. Yeah. Pro- I would not try to fix this thing. No, that thing's rough. <laughs> this comment. With enough time, money, and patience, it's possible to fix anything except this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it looks like both water and heat fire damage. Uh, yeah. According to someone else. I, yeah, I, all the above. All the above. Um, so back to the question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, fixing circuit boards. Uh, there's like wire like green wire fixes um i i would say so like i'm gonna list off like some tools i use i have a fiberglass pin um and it's designed for taking off solder mask so like because a lot of times if you have a cut trace you have to be able to solder to the trace somehow mm-hmm. and it's covered with solder mask so you have to scrape it away um i found like using like an exacto blade or like tweezers to scrape solder mask is just not a reliable way to really clean it um so get a fiberglass pen um and so that way you can actually like because you're basically sanding the solder mask off but that way when you actually break through the solder mask you actually have a smooth copper surface that you can actually solder to and and it's clean well and that's the big thing just scraping solder mask off is not enough like if you expose the copper you'd be surprised solder doesn't stick to it particularly well you have to clean that copper and get crud off the top of it a lot of times you get through the solder mask and you think you're all the way through but there's still residue left on top of the copper Mm -hmm. and trust me you're not soldering through that yeah um keep a variety of different wire gauges um i think the smallest i use is like 30 and then up to like 22 ish and make sure it's solid core instead of stranded solid core doesn't 
the problem with stranded is when you try to solder a little small stuff, the the strand splay. There's probably a technical term for that, but splay, splay. Uh, um, you know, honestly, if you have through hole resistors, cut the legs off. Those make really great little jumpers that you can, you know, if you have a broken trace, you can jump across with those. Mm-hmm. Uh, solder mask pen. Uh, they're not oh, cheap. Yeah. yeah, the exact opposite of the fiberglass pen, solder mask pen. So after what, you do your repair, yep, mask it off. That's not tinned, so that you prevent corrosion. If you want to get really fancy, they make trace repair kits, uh, and and if you're a really good solder, you can lay down new traces and uh, put solder mask over top of it, and you can make it look pretty good. Uh, yeah, I, I've seen some professional repairs that I couldn't even tell the difference. Yeah, um, but that that they're actually at that point they're basically scraping off the solder mask, laying down a new piece of copper that's got the bond material on it, mm-hmm. and then pressing that down and then re uh, re solder masking over. It's um, very labor intensive. Very. Um, so you only do that if if your board is very expensive and you need to fix it that way. You you want to make sure your boss doesn't know you messed up. <laughs> Isn't that the rule of becoming an adult? Fixing problems before anyone else finds out. Yeah, yeah. But then you say that you you you, you then you say it was a problem, but you went, nah, but don't worry about it. I already fixed it. It makes you look competent. Well, no, the problem the problem with that is if if you, if you say you fix it and you actually show that you fix it, they're like, oh, well, this guy can do it, and then you get a promotion to do more of that. It's like it's like setting the clock on your VCR. <laughs> You're a wizard. Well, now your parents always ask you to do that. Yep. Well, VCR programming clocks on VCRs isn't really a thing anymore. So, yeah, I actually think like no, because we don't. No one really has Blu-ray players yet either. That have clocks on them. Everything. <laughs> yeah, everything gets streamed nowadays. Lost to the age of times. It's like uh, the save icon being a floppy disk. I wonder. I wonder what the cutoff age is of. People knowing that's actually a floppy disk or that's just a save icon. Probably born in the 90s sometime. Could I be. I would guess. Late 90s maybe. There'll I mean, be I, one I, person I, that will say it's a zip drive. <laughs> did you have a zip drive? I did. I had a zip drive. <laughs> These things were legit. So. Big floppies. Yep. <laughs> Fat floppy. <laughs> H- hard floppies. We didn't really cover that topic that really well. Yeah, you know, okay, so... In, in this situation, in this image here, which everyone should go check out this because this is just laughable that somebody's even asking if you could fix this. But if, if something like your copper pour, like in this situation, has, has exploded, you're, I mean, that's not necessarily repairable. You're starting to get past trace width. Unless, unless you're, you're confident that you can put a wire across this copper pour and, and just wiring it's not going to cause a, uh, an issue. But in this situation, there's so much charred. Honestly, the FR4 is burnt on this beneath the copper uh, that you're not going to be able to repair this really. Um, and and I'm I'm looking at this too. There's there's uh, electrolytic pads that the pads are bad, um, so you would have to solder the the electrolytics in a uh, a, a non ideal way. So you know if, if this was something where it's like I don't know if this is like an heirloom radio that your grandmother space had space shuttle you, power supply. <laughs> yeah, right. If if this was something that you like, you could repair it 
gingerly put it on a shelf and never touch it again, then yeah, sure, maybe you could get away with some of those repairs. But this is this is beyond. I mean, uh, how rusted it is. It it lived a pretty hard life. It looks like it. Yeah, it wouldn't. Maybe, be... You never know. Maybe this was like a in a saltwater uh, area and just kind of corroded. It was like a moto controller for like a barge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know. What is that? It does kind of look like a power supply, but it does also have big power transistors that are bolted to a. a you know what actually reminds frame. me of? Car radios. Mmm. Yeah. That's what it reminds me of. It does look like that, doesn't it? Yeah. I bet you Maybe it was this a car was a radio. boat radio. Or a car radio, and it was just in a junkyard and with a broken windshield. So it just got rained on forever. Oh, so it clearly slots into something. You see, down at the bottom in that third image, it has like a big power connector that looks kind of like something where it would slot into, a, a, I don't know, some other kind of mating connector on the other side. But it's it's large. You know, what? I'm actually chunky. looking at that. I'm looking at that diecast heatsink. This yeah. is totally a radio for a car. Is it? Yeah. I, I that's. I mean, there's probably other things that use that style, but it's got really cheapy uncoated sheet metal stamped enclosure car radio <laughs> um and that actually that connector reminds me of like a car connector too for for audio i bet you that's what this is yeah it and it has a big multi-pin amplifier thing it is a car radio yeah so i scrolled down and the op says what we have here is the amp one from a 2005 Saab 93. Ask the internet, you'll get answers. Yeah. Oh, and so it wasn't a. They were looking to get it fixed because it costs 150 bucks to get a new one. <laughs> yeah, 150 bucks is. I uh, think considerably lower than the repair cost on this. Yeah, I would say I would buy another new one for 150 bucks, especially how man, just how rusted it is. That's surprisingly that that was in a car that was being driven around. <laughs> okay. So that was the MacFab Engineering Podcast. Oh, do you have anything else, Stephen? We were your host, Stephen Craig. And Parker Doman. Take it easy. Later, everyone. Oh, wait. We have um, two questions um, from Twitch. And it is... Favorite mainstream beer. So I'm going to guess that's favorite, like, macro-brewed beer. Mine would be banquet. Coors Banquet Beer. Uh, if Montucky Cold Snack can count, I'll pick that. Yeah, I think that's still... I think that's a craft beer. Because I don't think I don't think they're owned by a macro, like, InBev or anything like that. Okay, well, then I'll say Yingling. Okay. Is that a macro beer? It is. So who are they, who owns them? I don't know. Um, so the second question is favorite malt liquor. And oh, Mickey's, grenades! Yeah, Mickey's, Mickey's grenades. grenades. Come on, like that's an easy one. Um, I didn't drink those at all until you you were like we gotta drink Mickey's while like brewing beer. I think once. <laughs> yeah, we're They're brewing delicious. like amazing craft beer, and then like we're drinking Mickey's. <laughs> Five fifty a six pack. Uh. That's expensive. I think I got them for like four seventy five before. So. <laughs> Anyways, later, everyone. Take it easy.